There's a three-generational story in the book of Mosiah that spans several chapters. A righteous king named Zenith, or Zenith, went up to the land of Nephi to inhabit it. He had contentious dealings with the Lamanites, but because he was a righteous king and he led a righteous people, they had the protection from the Lord that was promised them, and they, they were able to preserve their liberty. Uh, Zenith's son Noah was not righteous and ended up leading the people into bondage and getting a lot of them killed. And Noah's son Limhi was primarily concerned with getting his people out of that bondage, getting them saved. And uh, he made several worldly tries at it. They even made a few proactive war attempts, but every time that they went up against the Lamanites in war, they got their butts kicked. It was a hard, trying time for them, several years worth. They were taxed at a rate of 50% of everything, and those taxes went to support the people that subjugated and, and slaughtered them. Had to be really, really difficult, but they learned to humble themselves, and through that humility, they fell back into the good graces of the Lord and were ultimately rescued. There, the story in that, for me, as it relates to month eight of my mission, is that sometimes you just you've got to be humbled so that you can be pre prepared for something something better this is welcome to the faro episode eight don't hit the beach month eight of my mission kicked off with me getting ready to say goodbye to elder higley and that was not something that i was looking forward to at all uh, he and I had become really, really good friends in that, in that three-month span that we served together, and uh, I learned a great deal from him. Um, I told you a little bit about my family situation, my, uh, you know, the fact that we were, we were better off than I understood. It kind of surprised me, talking to the other elders in my zone, how many of them had come from um, small agrarian communities, small towns in New Mexico, in Utah, and and things like that, and uh, how many of them, you know, grew up in in trailers or double wides or small homes? Uh, because I thought that the way I had grown up in a in a big house in a big city was was pretty normal. Um, you can call it a, a bubble mentality or, or whatever. But you know, for the last few years of high school, I had my own room, and you know, a lot of these guys into their late teens were still sharing rooms with their younger siblings just because that was their family situation. And uh, I also noticed that a lot of those guys were, were a lot more humble and, and a lot less materialistic just because they, they were used to maybe seeing something that they wanted and telling themselves, no, I don't need that, and that's fine. You know, I'm the second of four kids, and my dad was a wealthy paper salesman. Higley was the oldest of eight kids, and his dad was a small-town high school teacher. And so, you know, those were very, very disparate situations, and uh, he became a very different person than I was growing up. And subsequently, I learned a lot about about humility and how to conduct myself. Because, you know, as I've said, I I wanted to be liked, and Higley was very likable. People really uh, you know, respected him, and, and so I learned a lot about about how to make that happen just by kind of watching and, and emulating him. Couple that with the fact that springtime was in the air, and uh, you know me being a son of the desert and a son of the summer, um, my my emotional state 
Yeah, that sounds weird. Like, I'm always talking about, like, I'm about to fall apart. Rather, I'd say my underlying mood is affected heavily by by the weather and the time of the year. I love the springtime. I love the summer. And it was finally starting to warm up in Saragossa. In the springtime there, they get these rolling rainstorms that are just... You wouldn't believe it unless you lived through it. You'd see you'd see phases of dark clouds rolling in over the horizon, with streaks of blue in between them. And as one of those storms rolled overhead, you'd just get dumped on by violent, heavy rain. And then as soon as it cleared out, it would be warm, and you'd dry out. And then another storm would roll in. And this would happen to you four or five times in the span of a day. It was hard to dress for it. You'd have to be you know, going around in a light short sleeve shirt, but still carrying an umbrella unless you wanted to be, you know, soaked all day long. Um, you know, I just found it amusing to be enduring that. But as the weather was getting brighter and everything was getting greener, um, you know, I, I found that that underlying optimism that comes to me with every spring and summer coming back in, in Saragossa, but it was it was always tampered by the fact that I was going to have to say goodbye to my friend. He was finishing his mission, and most likely, I was going to get transferred. Uh, throughout the course of my mission, whenever transfers came around, um, and I realized this sort of near the end, I had always had a pretty reliable sense of what was going to happen, mainly whether I was going to have a, a change or not. Maybe not in the sense that, like, oh, I can tell that I'm going to get sent somewhere else. No, it's just, I, I could tell if if things were going to stay the same for me or not. Uh, and in this case, I had been in Saragossa for four transfers. That was the longest that I was ever in any area was four. I would have three such areas. Um, you know, most people weren't in an area for longer than that unless it was a special circumstance. So between the fact that Higley was going home and I'd been there for six months almost, um, it was time for me to expect a change. And when the call came and uh, they told me where I was going, uh, I wouldn't say that I was like, shocked or surprised or anything. In fact, I had, I had served with people who had served in that area. Elder France had served in Tarragona. That's where he was born. And uh, that was going to be my next area. Tarragona was a beautiful place and one of the most trying of my mission. Saragossa and Tarragona were similar in the sense that they were both Roman cities with ruins in them that predated the birth of Christ. And uh, these these ruins were protected sites. Um, neither of the cities had metro systems because they didn't want to go dig and tunnel through all these these buried Roman relics and whatever. So they they had just surface bus street systems and and all that. But they were very very different because in the interceding millennia, Saragossa became part of Aragon and Tarragona became part of Catalonia and. Aragon and Catalonia are two very different cultures, um, and I had to go back to a, a part of the country where I was going to be exposed frequently to Catalan. In fact, uh, on the day that I left Saragossa, I, I started to break out with hives all over my arms and then later all over my face and my chest. Um, 
maybe an allergic reaction to something. Maybe uh, I, I think it had a lot more to do with, with stress. I was really kind of emotionally broken up about leaving. But uh, I got to Tarragona, and on my first day there, uh, I got some help from the Elders Quorum president, a guy named Sebastian. Uh, one, of the, one of these you know, CSGs that I talk about, Catalonia is a very wealthy region, Tarragona as well. Uh, one of these wealthy tourist cities, and I don't know what Sebastian did uh, for a living, but I never saw him where he wasn't wearing a button-up shirt and some, you know, pressed pair of slacks or something. He was he was a a professional, whatever he did, and uh, had a had a very neatly trimmed kind of Tony Stark beard, and, and he wore glasses. And uh, when he when he met me that first day, we were asking for some help on like, hey, you know, where's a clinic around here we can take Elder Bradley because. He's clearly having a reaction to something, and he took us to this uh, to this emergency clinic room in in Catalonia in Tarragona, and he he spoke Catalan with the uh, the triage nurse and got us all checked in and and translated everything because even though you know obviously I was sick and in bad shape and saying hey you know I don't speak a whole lot of Catalan they still didn't want to speak Spanish to me, and uh, on top of that they were trying to bilk couple hundred euros out of this foreign guy coming into their socialized system and and uh, asking for treatment so uh, you know he helped us deal with all that and, and uh, I was I was introduced to the city and its and its ward by uh, some very hospitable members and I was very grateful for that the city of Tarragona was not what was trying for me to an extent the time of year that I was there was a little bit trying because we were heading into the summer in a beach city in a tourist trap and I couldn't go to the beach because it was a European beach and I was a missionary anyway. No, the trying part of of this part of my mission was 100% my companion. As I prepared these episodes and kind of outlined them and figured out what individual stories I would tell about every different month on my mission. I've, I've gone back and forth with myself over how much I was going to say about him. Uh, I've decided I'm not going to mention him by name because, hey, I'm putting a podcast out there on the internet. People are going to listen to it. It's going to be around ostensibly forever. Maybe he'll eventually run into it. And I don't want to dump on him. I think he understands that I had a really bad time with him. Um, after we parted ways that summer, I, uh, I think I may have talked to him maybe once or twice and under, under stressed circumstances. Um, so I'm not going to refer to him by his actual name. We'll call him Elder Gordon. That's, uh, that's the name I picked out for him. Couldn't call him Elder Smith because we had an Elder Smith in the mission. That's the, the generic name that you give to somebody. No, uh, he was he was difficult for a number of reasons. But if you were bo- to boil it all down to an underlying cause, I would say that it was this. He was from Salt Lake County, and he was on a mission because that's what Salt Lake County boys did, and he was just doing it to say that he did it. He didn't actually want to be there, but he wasn't man enough to either man up and do the work or bug out and, and go home. And there's a there's a lukewarmness to that 
that makes it very hard to have the spirit with you, very hard to get any work done. Tarragona was the only area in my entire mission where I didn't baptize anybody. Probably because, to varying degrees, I was quarreling with my companion for the entire three months. We never got along. He and I were... We were opposites in too many ways. Um, how do I go about saying this? He was a fat, disgusting slob, and I wasn't. He was lazy and disobedient, and I didn't want to be. I wanted to be there. I wanted to work. He didn't. Being his companion and wanting to be diligent was like going 45 in the fast lane. It was like having a rocket strapped to your back and an anchor wrapped around your legs. Typically, you would spend about half of your mission as a junior companion and then half as a senior. For different reasons, that would pan out differently for different people. Um, sometimes it had to do with the amount of newcoming missionaries and you know whether president felt impressed to give you that calling. Um, Elder Gordon had been out for do the math, uh, 15, 16 months, something like that, and he was always counting the time that he had left, and he was very vocal about it. Um, it was his first time as a senior companion, but when I transferred in there, you know, me having only been out about half as long as he had, um, members of the ward thought that I was the incoming senior companion. That had a lot to do with my level of proficiency with the language and the fact that he'd been out for over a year and his his command of Spanish was still very weak. Um, you know, not, not on the level of somebody who'd been living in a foreign country for a year, ostensibly speaking the language the entire time. Um, that was directly related to the fact that he did not study. We had that structure in the morning where we were supposed to to do our personal study and get ready for the day and then our companionship study. I could not make him study and apparently neither could any of his previous companions. Just, you know, you, you can't make him sit down and do it. I'd, I'd get up and be ready and dressed within the first 30 minutes of the day, shirt and tie, the whole nine, sitting at my desk studying and maybe an hour, hour and a half later, he'd be, you know, chilling in his never used gym clothes sitting in a chair, goofing off and reading, you know, the, the ensign or something, looking at pictures of, of uh, you know, the girls hanging out at the conference center or something. It, it, was, it was just something that I, I could never persuade him to do. Even if I would tell him, like, hey, you know, we need to be doing this right now. And he would say, you know, oh, no, I'm, this is how I blah, blah, blah. I, I, I got sick of fighting it after a couple of weeks and just decided instead to to hunker down and nail the Novell program. That isn't to say that my entire time there was bad and that I had you know a bad relationship with all the missionaries. Um, I would end up being in Tarragona for a total of three months for two transfers. And that was kind of a tale of two transfers because uh, there was a, a big turnover right in the middle of it all. And uh, pretty much the only companionship that didn't change was mine and Gordon's. Um, we covered, let me think, I want to say we covered three different cities. There was Sabade, 
Terrassa and Tarragona. Uh, Terrassa had Elder Wilcoxon and Elder Merrill. Wilcoxon was training Elder Merrill. Or was he? No, Wilcoxon was, fin was finishing up. Wilcoxon had trained somebody else. He trained Christensen from my group. That's how I remember that. Um, the zone leader was Elder Wiest. His companion was Elder Waitman. Waitman was also from my group. He was from Manchester, England. He was a character. I will tell you a lot about Elder Waitman. And uh, then there was the sister companionship, Hermana Stevens and Hermana Taylor. And they were also in Sabade. And they were, they were just great. Um, diligent group of working missionaries. Elder Wiest was a, 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 not a hipster kid. He was more of like a, a punk rock kid, but not in the you know grunge and mohawk and tattoos and patches type punk. Um, I'd say more in the uh, in the vein of ironically wearing a Boy Scout uniform and glasses to a Weezer concert. And it looks like there has been a light on in my truck this entire time. Maybe you guys can tell, but I've been recording on the drive to work today. Anyway, Wilcoxon and Weist were on their final transfers and uh, you're just doing the bit where you, you hunker down for your last six weeks, you get the work done, and uh, you make sure that you, you finish strong, finish with honor. Um, I don't know if, if that had any measurably different effect on Elder Gordon, on, on his work ethic or lack thereof. Um, he was constantly talking about what kind of car his parents were going to rent when they came to pick him up at the end of his mission, which was exactly X number of days, weeks, months away. Um, you know, not that anybody else cared, but they humored him well. A lot of my companions I learned from, you know, learned what to do by, by watching their example. And with him, it was a lot of, man, don't be like this guy when your time comes. As for the city itself, as for the ward and the members there, Tarragona was a big ward and a very strong one. There were, there were a lot of great members there. Um, of all the places that I not only served but you know, attended, sometimes we would be in another city for a conference or what have you, and uh, we would attend meetings with, you know, with other missionaries in, in their area. Um, most of the places that I were that I that I were that I went in Spain only had branches, but Tarragona had a full-on ward with about a hundred active members every week, which was which was pretty big for Spain. Uh, most of them were were Catalan or or other Spanish members coming in from from other areas. Like I said, it was a tourist destination, and um, you know members that would come in from other parts of of Spain would still you know attend meetings there. Uh, throughout the summer, we even had members from other parts of Europe come by. There was one family, the uh, the Armstrongs from Ireland. The wife was a member, the husband wasn't, but the husband was... Uh, I wouldn't say that he was like all, you know, warm and honey and stuff, you know, Utah type nice to us, but, you know, he was he was very polite to us. We, you know, said hello, where the missionary shook his hand and everything. You know, you could tell that he'd He'd been through the whole spiel before, and he wasn't going to be, you know, fake about it. But he wasn't going to be rude to us. He's just, like, yeah, you know, my my wife had us come here. We we had a a singing assignment that we, you know, Elder Gordon and I had been part of the choir in that ward. Um, we were we were pretty much the only two tenors. Uh, we had plenty of of brethren that were basses in that ward, and then you know the sisters filled out the alto and soprano roles. But you know, he and I had to sing tenor pretty much by ourselves. Uh, but we put together a really good musical number. There was, I can't remember the name of the sister who was the, the choir conductor, but 
we had one or two really good musical numbers on award conference one week when the Armstrongs were there and and uh you know we we said hello to them before sacrament meeting and then they were heading out after and brother Armstrong you know brother Armstrong um you know sister Armstrong's husband said you know hey you know that was that was really good good job you guys and I was like you know awesome um frequently on my mission I had to take the seed planting mentality to remind myself that you know not all success is measured with you know immediate baptisms it's it's about the example that you set and and the fellowshipping that you do and uh you know that was one such case um in every place that I served there were there were a couple of core families that you know were were the ones that I had like the best friendships with or or that made the most time and effort to to be with the missionaries and I would have to say that in Tarragona, it was the Concernau family. Um, Jordi and Josefa were, were uh, the husband and wife team there. They had a daughter, Estefania, and then they frequently fostered um, you know, babies. I'd say you know kids that were under a year old. Uh, Elder Wilcoxon had been in Tarragona before, and you know, he had pictures from when he was there, and they had this, this uh, baby named... Mohammed, who had just this huge afro, like the kid wasn't even a year old, and he had this big old afro. I was like, that is awesome. Um, they had a, a little baby daughter with them um, when I was there. I can't remember the the baby's name, but they were they were constantly fostering children. That was a service that they did. They were pretty well off. I can't remember what Jordy did, um, you know, at, my, at the time that I was there. Uh, he had experience as as a sailor, as a ship's captain, actually. Um, prior to joining the church, he would he would run these cargo freighters, I guess, to different places in the world. He, uh, he even said that he would be, um, he would take ships into, into Israel and, you know, park them at ports there. I don't know if, if there's like ports at Jerusalem, but he's like, yeah, you know, back in my day before I was a member of the church, you know, I got to go to the Holy Land all the time, but I never actually went there. I was just, you know, piloting a ship and I'd park it there and, you know, let the deckhands do their thing while I'm sitting up in the on the bridge, you know, reading a book or whatever, and then they'd, they'd be done, and I'd, I'd take it back out and bring it back to Spain. And I was like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" He's like, "Yeah, I know, I know, I know." Uh, but they were they were awesome, just a great family. Um, they would have us over every Sunday for a, a dinner appointment. Um, they also had a son I remember now who got baptized while we were there. He turned eight. They had us, you know, kind of teach the the lessons to him while we were there. Um, Estefania, she went by Fani. Uh, she was probably 20 years old and, um, you know, Jordy was, was very big on, you know, respecting her agency. The church wasn't as important to her as it was to her parents. He wasn't, you know, on, on the, the team of people that would try to like force their kids to go to church, even in adulthood, which adulthood is kind of a different thing over there in Spain. It's, it's not unusual for people to live at home into their late twenties, maybe even when they turn 30 or so. Um, I'd say primarily for economic reasons, but it's, it's a little bit more socially acceptable to do that. You know, she was still, you know, working and going to, to the uni and all that stuff. Um, you know, she was just an, an adult who lived at home and, and so, you know, he'd, he'd respect that, but she was amenable to the missionary. She'd talk to us, uh, you know, not necessarily about church stuff, just about her life and everything she was up to. At the end of the day, I would say that the Concernau family was... You know, they they made a point of trying to be like a family for these missionaries that were coming in from 
I say all over the world, but primarily the Mountain West region of the United States. But they, they made me feel at home, and I'm, I'm ever grateful for the example that they set. Jordy would also go with us um, to teach lessons to investigators. He would find people for us to teach and say, hey, you know, can you, can you make a time, you know, say six or seven on Saturday, we can go teach this lady that I work with. And just, just awesome. Uh, you know, every ward should be so lucky to have members like the Concernal family that, that really make the gospel their life, that make missionary work their life, especially in a place like that. As a final note on on this particular transfer, I think this this kind of takes us into the end of June, what I'm going to mention here, but I'll I'll mention it on this episode because it's it's relevant for what I've been talking about. Um at some point in June we had uh, our zone conference for that transfer and uh we had our individual interviews with president, so you know, I got there waiting in line, he interviewed Gordon first because you know the senior always goes first and then i went in we we had a, our prayer he shared his little message and then you know he's like okay how's it going how's everything going you know how are you doing and and you know i didn't you know break down and fall apart and become a mess or anything but i told him i was like look i'm i'm having a hard time with this guy um he he doesn't work he doesn't study he doesn't obey the rules he doesn't do anything and it's not like I was revealing anything to President Watson at this point. This this man knew the missionaries that were under his stewardship. You know, he he'd, he'd obviously had you know more interactions with all of them, and you know we were we were all important to him, and he had high standards and high expectations for all of us. And obviously, he'd had more interactions with Gordon up until this point than I had, and he just kind of you know nodded sagely and. He told me, he's like, look, you are, you're with him for a reason. And throughout my mission, my testimony of the revelations that President Watson received was fortified over and over and over again. And this was one of many such cases. If I was to, to round it up to four or five you know, defining cases of you know, me realizing that President got revelation for me as a missionary... You know, this was one of these reasons. Um, and it was probably my pride that at first understood to mean that that he had put me with Elder Gordon to, to kind of fix him up, to whip him into shape. And there was, you know, undoubtedly, uh, an element to that. But by the end of my three months with him, I, I would learn that I was with him for me to realize some things as well. Um but the it's it's a big responsibility to be given because if you've got to provide all of the energy and all the motivation and frankly all of the obedience for a companionship you really got to stay on your game especially because Gordon was the type to to gaslight and to nitpick and to try to find ways to justify himself by by taking everybody around him down a notch um Contention was was a big thing that I had to deal with with him because, you know, you you have to have the spirit as a missionary companionship. It is the spirit that does the teaching. You're just the messenger, and if you aren't carrying that spirit with you, you're just a guy in a suit and tie, and and you're walking around talking to people. And what reason do they have to listen to you? You're just a guy. It's the spirit that they need to feel. 
and in a contentious environment they cannot feel it and and i had to figure out you know how to be obedient how to be motivated how to be diligent with this 300 pound sack of crap dead weight hanging off my shoulders and that even me saying that is indicative of the attitude that i was constantly fighting against because i i couldn't feel those things about him you know, it it was completely detrimental to the work that i w- was there to do and yet i couldn't help feeling those things about him it was so frustrating it was this vicious cycle that i had to learn how to beat uh, it was the only way that i was going to have any success at all i opened this episode by talking about the people of limhai the people of Zenith, people of Noah, people of Limhi. Um, Zenith was a righteous man and a covenant man. Noah probably was simply by inheritance and by tradition, but was not a righteous man. And Limhi and his people were not covenant people. Limhi was not wicked like Noah was. Uh, he was not blind to the sins of his father, but he did not do things the way that his father did. Um, Nevertheless, they were they were trying to be, let's say, secular and, and still try to be good, still try to hold to some kind of moral code. But they didn't have the help of the Spirit. They didn't have that protection that comes from making covenants with the Lord. And they struggled and they suffered. And I have to think that among the entire people who were under the reign of King Limhi, some of them were righteous. and And even they were called to be humbled because of the group that they were a part of. They were enduring a trial together, and they all had to learn something from that. I think for me it was, it was an exercise in, in being humbled in a lot of ways and realizing that, no, you're not as righteous as you need to be. You're probably not as righteous as you think you are. And that's kind of the, the recurring lesson that you learn in the endless striving to be humble i guess if that's the right way to say that humility is a process it's not a destination and even if you were to make a a mathematical assessment of two people and you be able to show your work hey you know obviously i'm doing this much better than the other guy that in itself is an act of pride and that was that was a hard thing for me to come to grips with you have to leave that assessment in God's hands and learning that was was part of the reason that I had been assigned to be Elder Gordon's companion but that's enough for this week we'll share a little bit more with you about the the exciting and beautiful month of June including the time that I went on an overnight intercambio with Elder Waitman up in Sabadell so that uh, Elder Weist could get some time with Elder Gordon. And let me tell you what, Waitman was a character. I really liked that dude. Shame what happened to him in the end, but we kind of make our own bed. But more on that next week. Until then, keep the faith. <laughs>